Hi, this is Dove Barron, and you're listening to Awakened Nation with Brad Solis. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalas, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show today. I am excited uh, to have today's guest on. We met probably about, what, 15 years ago, Dove? Is that correct? Maybe even maybe even a little bit longer, a little bit years ago, yeah. Giving away our age here. Um, we were at a John Childers event, I believe it was. And it was. In my mind, and I'm going to read your bio, but this is probably the best. Here's this guy uh, getting up, looking suave, uh, getting up there. I got to meet your lovely wife, and uh, he gets up on, I think it was day three in a four-day event, and uh, we're thinking, what's this guy going to talk about? And he talks about uh, falling off a mountain and mm -hmm. breaking every bone in his body. So if you're listening, if you're tuning in today, if you want to really hear a story about resilience and what to do from somebody I not only admire, but he's one of the top talents uh, globally. It isn't just in two countries. It's all over the world. This guy is a rock star. Uh, are you ready, Dove? You ready? I'm going to read your bio. You I'm ready. Thank you. You got it. Dove Barron, twice cited as one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers to hire, also cited in the Meeting and Event Professionals Guide to the Top 100 Motivational Speakers and named as one of the top 30 global leadership gurus. Dove is a man with the finger on the pulse of the evolving world of next-gen leadership. He is a best-selling author of several books. His latest book is Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. And I suggest our listeners go out and get this book. It's phenomenal. Uh, Dove is also the host of the national U.S. TV show Pursuing Deep Greatness with Dove Barron on Roku TV and the host of the number one podcast for Fortune 500 listeners globally, Dove Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show on iTunes and is carried on FM and AM radio stations across the U.S. He also writes for and has been featured in many industry magazines included being featured on CNN, CBS, Small Business Pulse, uh, SHRM, Charm, Yahoo Finance, Boston Global, Business in Vancouver, USA Today, CEO, Entrepreneur, and many, many more. Uh, and Dove, you've been speaking internationally for 30 years, man. So you and I are speakers, and I, I just want to welcome you to the show. This is going to be a great show, and uh, I look forward to, to hearing your wisdom. Well, thank you, Brad. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to serving you, serving this audience, and it's always great for you and I to have a chat too, of course. Absolutely. And I, I, whenever I see you and you, you haven't had a shave for a couple of days, I, I, I reach out and say, it's Jason Statham's stunt double. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Hey, I don't uh, know how that is, but all right. This is this is where the story begins, and this blew my mind when I heard this. June of 1990. Let's go back. Uh, mm -hmm. You were uh, freeform uh, rock climbing, and uh, you fell 120 feet, and this blew my mind. Now you were you were like an adrenaline junkie. You were really into sports and outdoorsmanship. But take us back to that day. 
uh, and what happened? Yeah, well, as you said, I was an adrenaline junkie. I did all kinds of crazy shit all the time. Um, and free climbing was one of my sports. Uh, and so if you think uh, mountain climbing is crazy, you have to remember that mountain climbers have harnesses, they have uh, safety lines, they have a climbing partner, they have hooks, they have the right clothing, the right equipment, etc. Free climbing, on the other hand, is when you climb without any of those things. You do have chalk and you have the right shoes and the right clothing. On this particular day, June 1990, uh, my friend and I were out. I uh, just took a little bit of a break. I was having more success than I'd had up until every point, that point, any point in my life. And I was, you know, I was exactly burned out and I needed a couple of days off. And my friend and I went up to a place called Whistler, which some of you may be familiar because it was where the 2010 Winter Olympics was held. But this was June. It wasn't snowy or anything. And we went to a place called Brandywine Falls, which is close by to Whistler, which is this gorgeous glacial mountain uh, waterfall. It falls about 200 feet off the glacier, and it's stunning. And we got there to, to see this and decided that we'd hike down to the bottom. And instead of being safe <laughs> and just looking at it from the view, we decided we'd hike down. It took about 45 minutes, and we hiked down. We got down there. And being an adrenaline junkie, I challenged my buddy. I said, let's see if we can hike behind the waterfall. And there's about a three-foot gap at the behind the waterfall. And what you should know is that going out to the waterfall, we were not dressed for that. I was wearing running shoes and jeans. Um, going out to the waterfall, we are fighting a spray of about 70 miles an hour, climbing across uh, moss-covered rocks and, you know, slipping. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not a smart thing to do. But we did get behind the waterfall. We got behind the waterfall, and behind a waterfall, in that close environment, you are filled with what's called negative ions, which positively charges the body. So you feel incredible. When I came out on the other side, I felt like Superman. I felt like I could conquer anything. Mm -hmm. And so when we came out on the other side, I turned to my buddy and I said, let's not hike back. And he's like, well, we take the elevator? What? Of course there is no elevator. Um, and I said, no, let's climb. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, let's free climb. So remember, no harnesses, no ropes, no safety gear. That's mountain climbing. But free climbing is the right shoes, the right clothing, and chalk. No right shoes, no clothing, no chalk. Soaking wet, we begin to climb. <sighs> At about 120 feet, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that sent this massive rock to my head and hit me in the face and knocked me unconscious, fortunately and sent me down, hurtling down at maximum velocity onto the boulders below. So oh. not gravel, not grass, not even rocks, but boulders. And they smashed me open like a nut. And uh, I laid at the bottom in a pool of my own blood uh, before my buddy scrambled down to, to help me. So oh. that's what happened on that day without going into the gory details of what it looked like. <laughs> Well, this is incredible because in, in, a, in a split second, your life has changed. Mm -hmm. You drop 120 feet and you're, you're broken down there. And all of a sudden, you, you know, your buddy's rushing down to help you. And now here's the other part of the story. You got to get the hell out of there and you don't have a car. You, don't have, you have to walk out of there. Yeah. Um, so my buddy wanted to run ahead and I, I didn't want him to. And he was going to run ahead and get the ambulance or the the helicopter, and I decided that, and nobody knows how, including me, how I was able to walk out. It took about three hours, 
but I able I was wa- I walked out completely smashed to pieces, dripping in blood. I could hear the blood inside of my own shoes. I could hear the right. with every step, and I would black out every couple of steps and disappear for a couple of seconds, and then come back and do it again. And um, so you know, it took a long time to get out. When I when we got close to the path at the top, my buddy did run ahead. He did get an ambulance. They did come. And I saw this orange light in the distance with flashing light and I blacked out. And the next thing I know, I woke up and I was in the ambulance. When they got us to the mountain hospital, they asked in the emergency, how did it get him out? Was it a helicopter? And they said, uh, and my buddy goes, no, no, he walked out. They said, that's not possible. With how smashed up he is, it's not possible that he could remain upright. Uh, but I did. And there's many miraculous parts to that story including the fact that when i originally fell and landed on the bottom and laid there smashed to pieces in my own blood um my face is gone but somehow i'm able to say something that my friend recognizes which is move me wow and you we all know you don't move somebody who's fallen because you could sever their spine and he said he didn't know why he knew better he was actually um st john's ambulance trained he knew better, but he said he f- put his hands underneath me, picked me up, and moved me three feet to the side. And the rock face where I'd just been laid collapsed and buried exactly where I was. So there's all kinds of miraculous pieces to it. Wow, that is a miracle, man. Mm-hmm. So you get to the hospital. They, they flew you to the hospital. And yep. what happened? They, I mean, this was the beginning of hundreds of surgeries. Am I correct? Well, actually, 10, 10, 12 reconstructive surgeries, some minor stuff in between. But, yeah, Um, what happened is when I got to the mountain hospital, um, all the x-rays and stuff, they said I had a broken neck, broken clavicle, broken back, broken hip, broken leg, uh, broken arm. uh, They could see the bone pushing out of one part of my leg. Everything in my face was destroyed, several broken ribs. And I was, um, <laughs> to, to use the words of one of the doctors, he's too fucked up for us. And we've got, I, I heard that. Uh, <laughs> and they shipped him, me off to the city hospital, which was about an hour away. Um, we can get into the metaphysics of it or not, as you choose. Um, what I can tell you is that when I arrived at the second hospital and they did all the x-rays again, uh, which was about two hours after, three hours after I arrived, um, there was nothing broke below my face. That's interesting. That is another miracle. Mm-hmm. Holy. Nothing broke below my face. There was nothing left in my face, but nothing broke below my face. Wow. Now, I, the one thing I've always uh, admired about you is your tenacity, and I'd say this was a testament to all of this, uh, the will to live, the, mm-hmm. the unwavering will to live. And clearly, there was a higher purpose or you would have been gone um, from this earth. So let's get into this now. You've become one of the top leadership people after this. What was that journey like to go from, okay, uh, battered, bruised, coming back, recovering? You weren't able to work, obviously. So uh, what started to happen? I mean, this is the moment where people can really get depressed and lose faith and, mm-hmm. and all these other things. What got you through all that? So, 
when after I fell and people would ask me how I was doing, I would say, I'm great. I'm coming back. Well, it probably sounded more like, uncle, uncle, because my jaw was wired closed. Um, <clears throat> because I was born in a ghetto. I had be been a martial artist. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a leader. I'd run companies in different continents. I was not going to let it beat me down, whatever it right. was. And I kept saying, I'm coming back. But in truth, when I was on my own and nobody was around, I was in a very dark, dark depression. Um, but based on my conditioning about vulnerability being a weakness, I was not going to let anybody see that. I was not going to let anybody know. On a particular, <clears throat> I'd had a couple of nights out with my mates over the next nine to 18 months. And I'd go out with my mates and I'd be like, I'd be standing there miserable. And I'd be thinking, that's it. I'm never going to have any joy in my life again. Because I would just be miserable. I could act like I was doing, having a good time, but I could feel that I was dead inside. And I'd really given up hope that I would ever have joy again. And on a particular night, we went out. And on this night, I actually genuinely laughed. I wasn't drunk or anything. I just, you know, I had a good time. I laughed. And I, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I can, you know, I can come back. <clears throat> and I entered into my house and the light from outside as I opened the door went flush across the kitchen. And, you know, in that moment of opening the door, I was feeling full of joy and happiness and hope. And as the door opened, I went from happiness and joy and hope to being filled with rage because across the kitchen floor was festooned garbage. There was uh, kitty litter. There was meat packages. There was coffee grinds. It, it smelled horrible. And it was, and I knew exactly who the, the culprit was, and I went from, like I said, from joy to rage, and I went running through the house looking for the culprit. And when I got into the living room, there was the culprit on the couch, chilling out, relaxing, and I lifted my hand to strike, and about halfway down, something stopped me, because I'm not a violent person, but something stopped me. And instead of hitting, I simply put my hand down, I touched my cat, lifted it up into my arms, and it was cold. The cat was dead. Uh -huh. And I fell to my knees and weeped and weeped and weeped. Now, you should know this was a cat I did not like. <laughs> it wasn't my cat. A girlfriend had given it to me as a manipulation. I didn't like the cat. It was a Siamese cat that used to wake me in the night whining. There was no love lost. So why was I weeping? And I just was on the floor weeping. And, but I was asking myself, what the hell is going on? Why am I weeping for this cat? And I suddenly realized a couple of minutes in that I'm not crying for the cat. I'm crying for the life I've lost that's mine. And in that moment, as I fell into that place, I realized that there were three paths. There was the path of I'm coming back. Well, I realized that there is no back in life. You can't go back in anything. So I couldn't go back. I tried that and it was keeping me miserable. I could stay where I was, and that was enticing. That was so seductive. The idea of staying a victim of, you know, well, I, you know, Marlon Brando um, on the waterfront. I could have been a contender. You know, like, it was like, like I was a victim of circumstance. It wasn't my fault. I tried really hard, and that was why it didn't work. And I, it was seductive, but I just, I knew I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And the third option was to find my life purpose. 
to face what it is that I hadn't faced. As Joseph Campbell said, the treasure which you most want is hidden in the dark cave you refuse to enter. And here I was in the dark cave, and I had to go look at what I did not want to see. And from there, that was the beginning of my journey into finding my purpose, because here's the thing I want everybody to get. My fall was literal. I fell off a mountain. And by the way, just so everybody's clear, uh, I'm not a genius here. I'm a dumb shit. That was my fourth fall, not my first. I fell off Bluff, Bluff Knoll in Western Australia 70 feet a year and a half before, and I had two falls in between. So this was not my first fall. Um, and what I've come to realize is, as I said, my fall was literal. Some people's fall is a divorce. Some people it's a bankruptcy. Some people it's a horrible diagnosis. Some people is getting fired. Sometimes it's a heartbreak. There's a million ways that you can have a fall, but everybody's fall. What you need to know is this, your fall is there to wake you up from something and to something. It's there to wake you up from what you've been doing to what you need to do that's aligned with your heart and your soul. And if you don't stop and pay attention to that, you'll end up having four falls. You just keep falling till you pay attention. Like the universe will, t will whisper to you before it punches you in the head. It will whisper to you. It will talk to you. It will nudge you. And if you're dumb like I was, then eventually you have to get a kick in the head and, and really wake up. When I could no longer argue with it, that's what happened. And so I had to go into this, I, had to, I entered into a dark depression. And most of us in our society, we're very uncomfortable with that idea. Oh, but yeah. listen, that is the cave you have to enter into, but we run away from our pain. And your pain is not there to cause you more pain. Your pain is there to turn you to look at what you don't want to look at. And what we do is we go looking for something to reprieve the pain. We go looking for a drink. We go looking for a line. We go looking for a doobie. We go looking for some more money. We go looking for a new vagina or a new penis or a new something that is going to distract us or a new video game or more likes on Facebook. But these are all distractions. And until you can sit in your own pain and be with it, you will simply repeat the cycle. I know because I did it for years. Wow. I hope everybody's taking notes and listening. This, this is, you know, life will force you to face you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, old, the old expression, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. And I love the fact that you reached this point where you had three choices. Mm -hmm. You talked about the seduction of being in the, in the victim consciousness. You want to talk about that a little more? Because I've been astounded uh, when I see people who almost wear it like a badge of honor. And we all go through this. I'm not sitting here judging or, or getting on anybody's case because I know my process of grief for loss or whatever it is. I know what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to go through it and bawl and cry and weep and listen to sad tunes. But when I feel I'm done, I'm done. And I now step up like, the, you know, the fall down seven, stand up eight. Mm -hmm. And you get back up. But this is incredibly seductive to be in the victimhood mentality. And you might be in it and not even know it. Oh, let me be clear. I think there are 
a very small fraction of people who know they're in the victim mode. Mm-hmm. Most people who are in it don't know they're in it. Nobody would have said I was in it. Nobody. Right. I knew because I'd done enough work on myself for 20 years before that fall. But the fact of the matter is that I was in it and it was very seductive because when you're in it, it's not your fault. When you're in it, you can believe in fate. You can believe in some God of accountability who says, Oh, you're being punished for whatever it is. That's not who I am. It's not what I believe, but it's seductive. Yeah. It's so seductive. And, and, and listen, um, here's the thing. If you don't go and really deal with your grief, if something good shows up, you'll sabotage it. There's no doubt about it. You, you know, you, you, you're in your grief, and, and, and I believe we test us. It's not, it's not a God testing us. <laughs> you know, it's, that's not who it is. I mean, because if that's the case, God, is, is God and Santa Claus and your accountant are the same person, <laughs> right? They've got yeah. checks and balances. You are good. You are bad. You're getting your Christmas present. No, you're not. You're going to hell. No, you're not. You know, I mean, your right. accountant, you're, you're going to get audited. No, you're not. So it's, it's pretty much the same thing. So if you don't go and deal with what it is, so for instance, let's put it in the context of taxes. If, if you get a notice that you could be audited and you go, well, I, what I should do is I should even, there's this great opportunity coming up. I should put a million dollars into that. I get the seduction of that. I get the idea of that, but now you're going to get audited and you're going to get your ass kicked and you're going to lose. Not only you're going to, you're going to screw everybody up. You're going to actually mess up the potential, the opportunity you had before you. And this is what we do. We don't stop. We live in a world of addicted to hustle. You cannot hustle your way through your pain. Do you get that, everybody? You cannot hustle your way through pain. And listen, there was nobody trying to hustle harder through their pain than me. Wow. Well, I'm not telling you because I'm preaching at you. I'm telling you because I was the mayor of that town. I was <laughs> running as fast as I could to get away from my grief. But it's there to wake you up from something and to something. And the, the middle ground, the limbo, is to sit in the victim, in the seduction of that, because we live in a world where we are competitive about our pain. I used to talk about this in my workshops where I'd say, you know, one of my favorite Monty Python sketches, and I, I know you're a fan of Monty Python, yes. uh, one of my favorite Monty Python uh, sketches is, hey, lad, you know, we were so poor when we were kids, we used to rick, lick road clean on the way to school. And the other one would say, luxury. Used to dream of licking road clean with tongue. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have to make breakfast for 14 siblings, and then I'd have to walk to school. Luxury. I had to carry my three brothers and sisters on my back, lick road clean, and, and dig coal for four hours before I go to school. And it would just compete. And it's this competitive pain, competitive trauma, because there is, there is significance in that, and human beings need significance. Yes. And so if your story is not how wonderful and powerful and successful you are, then let's compete on that. Oh, I'm, feeling, I'm not feeling very well today. Oh, I know. I've had the flu for weeks. Wow. Why is this a competition? Right. Why is this? We do it because we need significance. Well, I, I started to notice this a long time ago uh, whenever somebody would come in the room and they'd say, so how are you doing? 
the person goes, ah, my mother has cancer. Then the room gets quiet. Oh, sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. And if you just shut up and stand there and listen, don't add to the story, everybody begins to talk about a relative or somebody else who also got cancer. So they're all starting to have this story of who's got cancer and who else has cancer. And we do this. Yeah, my pain is my pain is greater than your pain. I or I have the same pain too. You know, and, well, having and, the same pain as you is compassion and it's empathy, but it becomes competitive. Mm -hmm. It becomes mine's bigger than yours. It's it's a it's a excuse me, it's a dick swinging contest around pain. <laughs> it That's is what it is, right? You know, well, I'm going through through a divorce, and and my wife took. Uh, you know, she, she, she took everything, you know, and, and I don't have a house to live in anymore. Well, my wife did that and she poisoned the kids against me. And now I can't even talk to my kids. Oh, really? My wife, she took the house, she took the kids and she stole my business. You know, I mean, it's uh -huh. just like, you know, let, let's compete on this nonsense. It's and a it's bad very, habit. Very seductive. It yes. is very seductive because you get, and what's seductive about it is you get attention, you get significance. And and when you when you move into the into the quiet cave, you don't do that. Yeah, you're in that pain, and you do have to get help. You you absolutely have to get help. You cannot do it alone. You need a therapist. You need a coach. And by the way, a therapist and a coach is not your mate who took a coaching course last week, and it's not your mate who likes to compete with you and they're there you to death. No, yeah. you need a professional, maybe more than one, and you need to sit and be with that and be guided into that process so that you can come out of the other side because the reason people are grieving for 10, 15, 20 years is because they never allowed themselves to fully grieve. So they dole it out in bits and pieces and they try to put on the face for the world instead of saying, here's the truth. I mean, I put a post up on Facebook the other day and it said, um, be real. I know relationship experts who are going through a painful, miserable divorce right now. I know uh, millionaires who can't pay the rent. Yeah. Be real. Like, and we all like, oh, but I've got a Facebook image and I've got a, yeah, I get it. I, I have to. But every now and then I go on my hair's like, like a mental case. I look like, you know, like Einstein who's just got a shock. Um, you know, my face is all wrinkly because it's first thing in the morning. I go on and I'll do it because I want people to understand that this, you know, this together version of me is only a facet. It's real. It's right. Not, it's not, right. not real, but it's a facet. And there's right. other facets. Yesterday, I sat with my wife and we talked about something that I did last weekend that really hurt her. Did I do it intentionally? Absolutely not. Do I have healthy shame about it? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. And, and am I a good husband? I'm a fucking spectacular husband, except when I'm a dick. And that was one of the times I was a dick. And that's part of my humanity. Wow. And that's what we all have to deal with. But we're so busy projecting this social media image of who we are that we don't give ourselves room to be real with what's true. And you cannot serve in the world until you get authentic. And what does authenticity mean? It means depth. People talk about authentic this and authentic that. Nobody even understands what a word is. It's a thrown around word. What it really means is depth. That's what it means. And until you can go to that depth with yourself, you can't really go to it with anybody else. It's so true. Wow. Dove Barron on the show today. Uh, Dove, uh, we're going to continue this conversation, but how do people get a hold of you? Where, what website should they go to? 
Thank you for asking, Brad. If you want to find out more about me, you can simply go to fullmontyleadership.com, fullmontyleadership.com. And actually, if you go fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gift, if you go there, I'll actually give you one of my eBooks. Uh, there's a few on there. I think, I think there's three you can choose from. I'll give you one of my eBooks, um, One Red Thread, which is about finding your purpose, uh, authentic leadership in action, or uh, Purpose is Missing Peace, which is about building a purpose-driven culture. Um, so those are there for you. Those are gifts. You can find out about my podcast there. You can find out about my articles. There's over 500 articles, my YouTube channel, whatever it is. But you know, I want to say something here. I'm going to say it here and I, and I want to remind you at the end. And that is, you know, you're listening to this. Information is worth the hole in the donut. Who cares? Right. What I care about you. Brad cares about you. That's why we're doing this show right now. So don't just listen. Do something what, with what you're learning. You can write to me. I'm going to give you my personal email. It's dovdov at dovbaron.com. Write to me. Tell me what you got out of this show, what you're going to do with it, and CC Brad so that he knows. Because here's the guy putting in the time, the energy, the effort to bring you great guests, to, to lift your life, to lift your heart, your soul, your mind. Let, let him know that this matters. Let him know that he's not wasting his time, that he's actually fulfilling his purpose in serving you. So write to me, dove at dovebaron.com. CC Brad, let him know what you got out of it, what you're going to do with it. And by the way, if you want help from me, there's some way I can serve you, your organization, as a speaker, as a, as a strategist, as, as an individual uh, doing, working one-on-one -on -one with you, you can reach out to me that way too. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Dove. I really appreciate that. Thank and you. Uh, you just touched on something I think is powerful. Yes, you can get all this information. You can listen to this podcast in your car. You can listen to it on the way to work. But if you don't do something with the information, uh, it's just going to be you know, like that great sweater your aunt gave you back in high school that's sitting in the closet. What are you going to do with it? Let's do something with this. Uh, and let's get back to this conversation of being authentic. I know people... Uh, recently, especially, who said, you know, integrity is the ground I stand on. And they repeat this over and over again. And I realize if somebody says it once, they're just like, okay, yeah, they are trying to do it. But if they repeat it over and over again, who are they trying to convince? Mm -hmm. And I realized that this particular person took me through uh, this sort of, um, they were kind of lying to themselves. Like they had just peeled back one layer and that was it. They were done. Mm -hmm. And what I love about your coaching, I remember this, we were walking in Manhattan uh, right after we sat with Suzanne Winter and yep. uh, we're, we're walking in Manhattan and it's a brisk day and you were about to coach somebody and we had this incredible conversation where you talk about how you cut through the bullshit with these executives. And I, I want you to talk about that because I've been a C-level executive. Um, you run companies. You've done a lot of great things. You've worked with some of the top people in this industry as well as you know, oil tycoons and, and people at the top. And you like intimidate the hell out of them. I know you are. You're, you're like the, the bulldog uh, version of uh, Tony Robbins. Like you're right <laughs> in their face. So I wanted to talk about this because um, you're fearless. And, and it's partially because of what you've been through. And you just break down that that facade they put up uh and i love that about you uh let's talk about that a little bit because that's intense yeah i'm happy i'm happy to talk about it um because i think that um 
the, why I'm happy to talk about it is because it's a single dimension of me. It's not who I am. It's a, it's a dimension of me. Uh, yes, I can be fearless and I can be tenacious and I can definitely call bullshit and do. Um, but what people don't know until they work with me, they'll often say, wow, I never knew that about you because they, you know, they, they see me on an interview or whatever it is, but I am, this is not my words. It's not, it's what I'm told all the time by the people I work with that I'm the most loving, compassionate and caring person they've ever met. Mm. So what I would say is when I'm working with a client, I say, listen, what you've got to know about me is I'm going to love you fiercely. And what that means is I will fight for you and I will fight for you harder than you'll fight for yourself. So when you want to bullshit yourself and you want to tell yourself that you're okay when you're not, and you want to, you know, want to blow, buy a smoke machine and try to blow smoke up my skirt, I won't tolerate that. I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to hold you accountable to your highest possible being. I'm going to believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And I'll be in your corner like nobody's ever been in your corner because that does take fierceness and there's a big difference and this is where people get mistaken there is a huge difference between fierce and ferocious i am never ferocious <laughs> i would never be ferocious i have no interest in being ferocious but i am fierce yes. the difference is that one is violent one is one is destructive that's ferocious i'm not interested in that i'm just snapping at people i'm not interested in that i'm interested in f knowing what hill i'm willing to die on and this is the problem with us we're too busy not knowing what hill to die on, trying not to offend anybody um you know and you've got to decide what it is that really matters in your life and why it's worth fighting for why will i stand for this with my last breath what is it and so when i'm working with an executive i'll give you an example i was out in uh in Philadelphia, I was invited to this event in Philadelphia. I was there. Um, I wasn't there as a speaker. I was invited. Uh, it was a very high-level uh, uh, venture capital event. Um, and the person who had invited me actually worked with a company we'd just done some work with. And he is the chief medical officer. He is, by trade, a surgeon, uh, a pilot, and an inventor. So reasonably bright guy. Just a little bit. A little bit. Um, and, uh, and um, I've gotten to know him over the, the couple of months before that. And you know me, Brad, when, when I meet some, when I know somebody, I'm friends with him, I'm, I'm completely inappropriate. You know, I was going to go up and grab his ass. Um, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> and, um, and I saw him talking to some people. I saw, saw him from the back. I recognized him. I saw him talking to some people. I was going to go up and goose him. But I came up quietly behind him and I actually heard what he was saying. And he said, and he said, uh, this is his words. He said, I said to Phil, Phil is the CEO of the company who had also become a client of mine. I'd been working with him, right? And he said, I said to Phil, I have no time for this woo shit. I have no time for this California feel good stuff. And I don't have two days for you to bring this guy in, talking about me, for you to bring this guy in to do all this stuff. I'm a scientist and it has to be scientific and I'm not interested. And this is what he's telling this small group of five or six people. And I, he doesn't know I'm behind him. And he said, and then he, and they're all like, Oh yeah. And he, and then he says, and just so you know, it's changed my life. 
It's changed the way I am in the business. It's changed the way I am with my partners in the business. It's changed my relationship with my children. It's even changed my relationship with my ex-wife. He said, it is without doubt the best thing we ever did as a company because every member of the team is transformed by what happened. He goes, I don't know how Dove does it. And he, and he said, it's not just Dove, it's Dove and Ren because my, my wife is my business partner and my co-facilitator. She works by my side and yeah. it doesn't happen without Ren. Um, and he said, you know, it was transformed every area of his life. His, his, he was presupposing it was going to be woo-woo. And then he realized how direct and fierce it was going to be. And then he went on to say, and by the way, using what we learned with Dove, because remember, this is a VC conference, because we just raised another $100 million using exactly what we learned from Dove. Wow. Yeah. Soft skills, my friend, are the skills that you need to make it in this day and age. And they, Soft skills are the new bottom line. You know, they've, they've, they've discredited soft skills for years. In every company I've ever worked in, the uh, you know i i've trained in disc training and the high d's which is salespeople, the ceo they don't care about feelings or touchy feely stuff they're marking orders and yelling and screaming they want everything to hit the bottom line the problem is there's always these people in the organization who are steadfast and contemplative and they sit there and they just do the work and they sit there and they listen to these barking of orders and their communication style that is never going to motivate them but inside, inside every organization, the top people, and sometimes they wind up in sales as well, are these people who could communicate. They're like diplomats. They're like Bill Clinton. They know how to feel your pain. They know how to help you, and they know how to get you around. And they're always talking, and they always lead business meetings with, how are your wife and kids? How are you doing? You doing okay? Guess who's the first people to get fired in most organizations? Mm-hmm. It's the person who can communicate the best because they have devalued these skills so much because we look at it and we say, oh, he's a hunter, man. Boom, he kills it. And he's chopping up. But what they don't realize is that way of doing things burns people out. It does, it's not sustainable. You don't have a long-term company when you have these kind of things going on. The people with the soft skills, and if you can train everybody in these soft skills, we mock them. But guess what? I've closed deals with soft skills that I, I've had managers look at me and go, how did, how did you do that? And it's like, well, I, I gave a shit about the guy. I really did. I wasn't just trying to sell him something. And it makes for a better work environment. It makes for a better place where people actually want to come to work. And instead of just doing a job and leaving, now they're engaged. They want to hang out after work. They want to discuss how to solve problems all from soft skills. So I don't understand why some of these companies don't want to invest money in it. But it, it's exactly like he said, I'm not doing this. I'm a scientist. I need hardcore. And then he gets the evidence. And my God, mm -hmm. difference, the shift. It's powerful. What you do yeah, is and, powerful, uh, Thank you, sir. And, and, and that is it. I mean, I struggled with that for years um, with exactly what you just said. But now it is being embraced because, I mean, in a recent... In a recent survey that LinkedIn did, a global survey, 
um, senior leaders said that 50, 59% of senior leaders said soft skills are more important than hard skills. Holy moly. Hard skills are like, I know how to do Excel spreadsheets super fast more than anybody else. Yeah. Soft skills help you rise in your career. Well, the thing about it is, the thing is that we forget is that you are dealing with human beings. And human beings are both relational and tribal. If you don't feel like they're part of, if they don't feel like you're part of that tribe or they're part of your tribe and you don't have a relationship with them, that, that two points that I can get a better price over there doesn't matter because I'm happy to give the two points away to my friend who I'm having a relationship with who happens to be doing business with me. Wow. Dove, everybody, I want you to go to fullmontyleadership.com and check out everything that Dove's doing uh, and send him an email, dove at dovebaron.com, cc me. Uh, and reach out, ask Dove questions, say hello, hi. Absolutely. Our, our guests aren't on here are never above anybody else. They're here to communicate, learn, and share. Here on Awakened Nation, we like to do a lightning round at the end and find out a little bit about you. Fabulous. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And uh, you answer the best you can. Which you I can ask me whatever you want. <laughs> Number one, what pisses you off? What pisses me off is people who, who drive in the passing lane and sit there paralleled with the person in the lane before who are not going to move because they're doing the speed limit. Get out of the freaking way. <laughs> By the way, I also know that's how you live your life. You're afraid to break the rules and you never get out of the way. And so you're blocking the people around you. That's funny as hell. I, that's one of my pet peeves too. <laughs> uh, somebody who makes a, a right-hand turn from the left-hand lane drives me crazy. Uh, second question. What do you love? You mean besides my wife? No, I know you love your wife. Yeah. But what is it that you just, you love? Like you get up in the morning and maybe it's, a, maybe it's to see her wonderful smile. And her, um, Maybe yeah, I'm, I mean, the, the truth is that that's a difficult question to, for me to ask because that's where I live. Mm. So I, I adore my wife. Uh, I am always delighted to see her in the morning. I, I, every day I thank her for being my bride um, with absolute genuine gratitude. I'm overwhelmed with it. Um, I love the ocean. I love my garden. I love flowers. I love um living downtown vancouver right by the water i love those things but i you know i love seeing the work that i do lift the hearts and the souls of the people that i work with so that they not only become um way more successful but they become so much more fulfilled and i love awakening curiosity in people to see things that they've never seen before and they go i never thought about that when I start sharing with them how their, their resonance field is interacting at a scalar energy level with somebody else and what happens when, that, when that's going on, or I start discussing something they've never thought of before and they start to, wow, what is that? I never knew about that. I love seeing the lights come on in people's eyes when their hearts and souls get lit up. Wow, that's beautiful. Third and final question. What do you want on your tombstone? 
Oh, that's easy. He was a father of men. Wow. That's the way to close the show. Thank you, Dove Barron, for being on Awakened Nation. Once again, reach out to Dove Barron at fullmontyleadership.com and please send him an email just to say hello. Don't forget to get your gifts. Uh, uh, send an email to Dove at dove at dovebarron.com. And if we go to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gifts. Gift. That's correct. Gift. Yeah, G-I-F-T. If you go there, I've got gifts for you. Yes. And like I said, there you can find about podcasts or articles or videos or all those kinds of things. And you can find out about my courses and all the other things that we offer. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dove. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, my friend. You bet. I want to thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.